evil happened this past week to Israel. We're all familiar. We've all been reading and studying the news. And I long to pray this morning for the nation of Israel and pray we must. We must pray. But we must also remember that God's people believe in Christ. God's people believe in Christ. That is the title of my sermon this morning. That is the truth of 2 Kings chapter 8. God's people believe in Christ. But before we can get there, we, we need a book of Kings refresher. We need a little history refresher. 2 Kings 8 calls us back to 1 Kings 19. If you have a Bible, turn back with me to 1 Kings 19. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah promised to end Ahab's house. Elijah promised to end Ahab's idolatry by ending his house. And we read in 1 Kings 19, beginning verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meheleah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. And he says, but I will then leave also a remnant to Israel. Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha were promised in 1 Kings 19 to end Ahab's throne, to end Ahab's house, to rid Israel of idolatry. We've met Elisha, the promised bearer of the sword. Now, ironically, we've met Elisha, and Elisha has actually been a blessing to Ahab's house. He's actually been saving the king of Israel. He's been a blessing. We haven't even met Hazel. It's been 11 chapters, no Hazel, no Jehu. And the question is begged by the text, will God's word come to pass? Will God execute judgment against Ahab's house? Or will Ahab survive God's word? In 2 Kings 8, we are finally introduced to Hazel. We're going to meet Jahab, Ahab's destroyer, in the next chapter. We already know Elisha, and as I said, he's been a blessing. Yet last Lord's Day in chapter 7, he wasn't a blessing to Ahab's house. If you remember last week, Jehoram, king of Israel, son of Ahab, one of his captains, his main captain, denied God's word. And Elisha promised him death for denying God's word, cursed him, condemned him. And he was trampled at the gate, and he died according to the word of, of Elisha. And there we begin to see the sword of Elisha. And Jehu, the destroyer of Ahab's house, is coming. We've seen the sword of Elisha and the destroyer, Jehu, 
is coming in the next chapter. But before chapter 9, before chapter 9 can 1 Kings 19 Ahab's house, chapter 8 has to tie up some loose ends. Chapter 8 ties up loose ends. The first loose end is this Shunammite woman. And more than a loose end, she stands before the coming judgment, the judgment that is coming, she stands before the coming judgment as a picture of God's grace to his Israel of God, God's grace to his true people, the remnant. She's a picture of how God treats believers within an unbelieving community. She's a picture of how God treats believers within an unbelieving church, within an unbelieving nation. The outward administration of the kingdom of God was cursed. The visible church was false. Israel was condemned. Yet there were true believers. This Shunammite woman. She's a picture of the remnant. God keeps his remnant. That is the invisible church. The invisible church remains on the earth. Where the inward administration of the kingdom of God works through faith. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Do you hear that? Not all who are descended from Israel are really Israel. Not all descendants of Abraham, ethnic, ethnicity, ethnic, the ethnicity of Abraham are truly his offspring. You see, one can outwardly, one can outwardly belong to the people of God, but inwardly be alienated from the things of God. Inwardly be an alien to God and to his love and his care. So Paul writes, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit. The kingdom of God has always had an outward administration of his grace. As St. Augustine said, there are visible symbols of invisible grace. There are visible symbols in God's kingdom of, invisible, of his invisible grace. Circumcision was a visible symbol of invisible grace in the Old Testament. But not all were truly circumcised inwardly. And so the prophets are continually, we'll read the prophets continually throughout the Old Testament, calling on God's people to circumcise their hearts. They were outwardly circumcised, but God calls them to circumcise their hearts. That is, only those of faith were truly cut off from the unbelieving world and belonged to God. Only those of faith were washed by the blood of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen of all God's promises. Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen of all of Scripture, including circumcision. He's the yes and amen of circumcision. He's the substance of the kingdom of God. He's the substance of the covenant of grace. The gospel is the administration of the kingdom of God. So only those of faith are sons of Abraham. So then those who are of faith 
are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Galatians 3. Galatians 2. God's people believe in Christ. Faith in Christ makes true Israel. And I cannot wait to pray for the nation of Israel in the pastoral prayer this morning. This past Tuesday, I sat in front of my computer trying to figure out what was going on. I sat there for hours and I watched news and I read articles and I, I saw videos. Evil videos. And my heart broke and every emotion flooded. I was angry. I was confused. I was hurt. I was struggling. My heart was broken for the nation of Israel. My kids got home. I went up and I just hugged my kids. I kind of embraced my kids for a moment. Earlier that day, I pulled out my Glock, checked on my ammo supply. <laughs> it's evil. Evil. But there is no end times prophecy here. All end times prophecies end in Christ. Christ alone. You're going to see, and you've probably seen a lot of misguided Christians quoting lots of Old Testament scripture, attributing it to this modern situation. All those quotes that these Christians are putting on social media, on bumper stickers, on t-shirts, and so forth, all those quotes end in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. All those quotes end in Jesus, not a nation. Jesus is the true Israel. He's the son of David. He's the offspring of Eve. The son of Abraham. The last Adam. And all who believe in Christ are implanted into Christ and are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. So in Christ there is no Jew, no Greek, no slave, no free. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Political Israel is not the yes and amen of scripture. Political Israel, national Israel, is not the yes and amen of Scripture. Jesus Christ is. We do not worship Israel. Israel gives us, gave us, Christ. Christ alone. So mourn the nation of Israel, pray for the peace of Israel, pray for justice, pray for protection, pray for the end of anti-Semitism. And pray for the salvation of God's elect so that all Israel will be saved. Christ's church will always be saved for Christ will never leave or forsake her. God's people are protected by the blood of Christ and it's always been that way. That is the truth of our text this morning. A long introduction. I apologize, but now let's look at 2 Kings chapter 8 verse 1. Now Elisha had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Arise, depart with your household, and sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. She was a believer in the word. She trusted Yahweh, and that faith found her salvation by the Lord. Verse 2, So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Her faith had wings, and it saved her. Verse 3, 
And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned, she came home. And her house was like, there was other squatters there, or perhaps the king had taken her land and her place. So she goes to appeal to the king for justice, to re, for him to return to her, her place. And as she goes to talk to the king, it just so happened that the king was listening in on her story with Gehazi. Verse 4, now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored appeared. There she is. And Gehazi goes, says, here's the woman. Here's the actual woman I'm talking about. And there's her son, the one who was raised from the dead. And the king was excited, and he, he called and appointed an official to her, verse 6, saying, restore all that was hers. Give her back her place, and not only her place, but give her all the produce that she would have made for these last seven years. The Lord gave her justice. She got her place, and she got all the produce, all the money that she would have made if she had stayed. You see, the Lord saved, and the Lord provided for one of his own within a wicked nation. Because really, this is a story about a wicked nation. But in the middle of this wicked nation stands this Shunammite woman, a picture of God's grace to his people. God's grace for God's people. And now we turn to God's judgment for God's people. Verse 7. You see, the grace was for the true Israel inside of the unbelieving nation. Now we look at the unbelieving nation. Now Elisha came to Damascus, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria. He was sick. And it was told to him, the man of God is here. He asked Hazel, bring him here. Take a present with you and go and meet the man of God. Inquire the Lord through him, saying, Shall I recover from this sickness? This is an interesting verse because the nation of Israel has all but denied the Lord. But here's the enemy, Syria, a foreign king requesting of Yahweh's prophet, requesting of Yahweh, asking the Lord, Will he be healed? Here, a enemy of God seeks Yahweh while the nation of God is off busy seeking the Baal. Seeking serious God. And this is the narrator's way of reminding you whom we're dealing with. We're dealing with a cursed people. The house of Ahab has been condemned. They are idolaters. Verse 10, And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover but Yahweh has shown to me that he shall surely die. He shall certainly die. Kind of confusing verse. Which is it? Is he going to recover? Or is he going to die? I don't see how you could do both. We will see that he does recover from the sickness. He will recover from the sickness. But he will not recover from the treachery. Verse 11. And he fixed his gaze at him and stared at him. That is, uh, Hazel. He's confused. He was embarrassed. And Elisha says he wept. And the man of God wept. The man of God wept. The prophet wept because he knew the evil. He knew the evil that would come to Israel as God promised. Verse 12. And Hazel said, why does the Lord, my Lord weep? And here's the answer. It's 1 Kings 19. Because I know the evil that you will do the people of Israel. You will set on fire their fortresses. You will kill their young men with the sword. You will dash in pieces their little ones. 
and rip open their pregnant women. Hazel would bring the promised judgment curse as God has promised. And this prophecy has been fulfilled. We know because we will read later on that the house of Ahab is no more. Hazel said, verse 13, what is your servant? I'm a dog who should do this great thing. Who am I? I'm nobody. Elisha answered, the Lord has shown to me that you are to be king over Syria. Then he departed from Elisha, came to his master, said to him, what did Elisha say to you? He answered, he told me that you would certainly recover. So he relates only the first truth. You will certainly recover. And then he fulfills the second truth. Verse 15, but the next day he took the bedcloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over his face till he died. And Hazel became king of Syria. We've now been introduced to Hazel, the destroyer of Ahab's house. But the true destroyer is Jehu, and he's coming in the next chapter. Hazel became king, which means 1 Kings 19 can begin. The house of Ahab can now be executed. For all, for the one who escapes from the sword of Hazel, Jehu shall kill. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. God's promises are fulfilled. God's word comes to pass. Even though it was 11 chapters ago, God keeps his promises. Jehu is coming. Ahab's destroyer is coming. But first, before chapter 9, we have to catch up with Judah. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've heard of Judah. Verse 16, in the fifth year of Jerom, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, when Jehoshaphat was king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned in eight years in Jerusalem. We haven't heard much about Jerusalem because all the drama has been up north in Israel. All the sin the idolatry, the judgment. It's all been in Israel. But all that's about to change. Things are about to change. Verse 18. And the king of Judah walked in the way of the king of Israel's, of Israel. And the simile is important. As the house of Ahab had done. As the house of Ahab the last two kings in Judah have been relatively righteous kings. There was Asa and Jehoshaphat. And Judah hasn't had a monarch to match the evil of Israel until now. And the evil that plagued Judah came by the same means as Israel. Notice the text says, For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, Jezebel's daughter. Jezebel, the one who wrecked the northern kingdom, her daughter is now the wife of Judah. And so Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Ahab's idolatry was carried south by Jezebel's daughter, marrying outside of the Lord, wreaked havoc in Israel. And now that marriage is going to wreak havoc in Judah. There is a reason Young people, singles, the Lord wants you to date and marry in the Lord alone. You date, you marry Christians. Because an unbeliever will wreck a godly home. 
by making it ungodly with unbelief and hatred for the things of God. So scripture forbids marrying outside the Lord and wisdom as well. Yet, verse 19, so look at this. Judah did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So now we see Judah is just as evil. Ahab is now in Judah. Judah's house is now connected to Ahab's house. But we read verse 19, yet the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David, his servant, since he promised to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. This is gospel. This is grace. God has condemned Israel for violating the first table of the law. They have not loved the Lord with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They violated the second table of the law. They haven't loved their neighbor as themselves. But neither now has Judah. Judah now is evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet out of sheer grace, without their deserving it at all, even though their hearts are inclined toward all evil, idolaters... Nevertheless, God grants and imputes to them the love. He grants and imputes to Judah his love for the sake of David. He withheld judgment for the sake of his promise because God's promises are fulfilled. And God's promises, we see in this text, are blessings and curses. And we call this the law and the gospel. The law is cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And the law brings death. And that death is coming for Ahab. But the gospel is Christ redeemed us by the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And the gospel brings life. And that life is coming for Judah. That is the life of Judah. The life of Christ. You see, the gospel brings life. And it was saving David because David believed his heart was circumcised. Because God's people believe in Christ. God's people believe in Christ. Christ who was cursed on a tree so that in Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Because God's people are not ethnic, God's people are elected. If you have a Bible, stay in 2 Kings, but jump over to Ephesians for me, with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.12. Paul writes in Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. We were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. These are Gentiles, right? Having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, he has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are not... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. We, by faith, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, the church is the chosen race, the royal priesthood, and the holy nation. The church. Because God's people believe in Christ. There is only one people of God. The church is the Israel of God through all of time, both Old and New Testament and forever. Verse 25, 2 Kings. In the twelfth year of Jerom, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Hazaiah, the son of Jerom, king of Judah, began to reign. And... Hazael was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. She was the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. Who's Omri? Ahab's father. This is more condemnation. Now the, the, Omride, the Omride throne now sits in Judah. Ahab. And so, verse 27... Judah walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as the house of Ahab had done, for he was son-in-law to the house of Ahab. Verse 28, he went with Joram, the son of Ahab. Look at the end of the text, the son of Ahab in Jezreel. That's who he goes to. The narrator here keeps saying, son of Ahab, son of Ahab, house of Ahab, house of Ahab in Judah. Judah is now surrounded and filled with the house of, house of Ahab. The den of vipers now plagues the church in Judah, the people of God. God's promised people. There are six references to Ahab and seven if you count Omri. Omri. The narrator is drawing your attention. He's drawing your attention to the promised Condemnation of the house of Ahab. And that condemnation now fills the house of Judah. And so the question is begged. Will God destroy Judah? Will God curse Judah? Will Judah suffer Ahab's destruction? And the Old Testament is full of judgment because the Old Testament is full of sinners. God's judgment actually created Israel's history. Israel's history is just a history of God proclaiming judgment. It's a history of the divided kingdom because of Solomon's sin. It's the history of exile because there is none righteous. No, not one. It's the history of Adam and Eve where God promised the day that you eat of that fruit, the day you eat of that tree, that day you will surely die. And humanity has been without God and without hope in this world since Adam and Eve failed. 
God's word of judgment has created our reality. God's word of judgment has created our history, and it is an evil history with wars and rumors of more to come. But the Old Testament is also full of, full of grace. The Old Testament is full of grace. You see, the gospel has created a new history. The gospel has created a new history for God's true people, the Israel of God. It's a history of the Shunammite woman. The Shunammite woman is a history where God's grace abounds. It's a history of grace because it is the history of judgment against Christ. The history of judgment in the Old Testament and the history of judgment that God proclaims in the world is the history of judgment that Christ felt on the cross. It's the judgment against Christ who stood in our place condemned. He who knew no sin became sin and was condemned on the cross. Because the garden gives us another history. The garden gives us the history of judgment. And the garden gives us a history of salvation. Where God promised an offspring, a child to come, a son who would curse and who would destroy the serpent's head. And so by God's word, David's line remained. We're going to see that David's line will remain even in the midst of judgment. God will judge Judah for Ahab's sin. But a son will remain. God's judged Judah, yet after exile and even after Roman occupation, a lamp of David shined brightly, for unto us a child was given. Unto us a son was born. The offspring of Eve, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He died on the cross, condemned in order to crush the serpent's head. He died to end exile for all the families of the earth. Christ has fulfilled every prophecy. He's fulfilled judgment. He's fulfilled blessing. Christ is the true Israel. And those in Christ are the true Israel. So when you sing the Psalms, dear Christian, rejoice in singing those Psalms because they are about you and I. They are about the church. When you sing the Psalms, know that God blesses those who bless the church and curses those who curse the church. And through the church, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's people believe in Christ. The church is the chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation who come to Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. God's kingdom cannot be shaken by war. God's kingdom cannot be shaken by war. For Christ sits on the throne and he's a consuming fire. And every knee one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And even now we have received that unshakable kingdom by faith in Christ and we are secure. 
So may peace, may peace and mercy rest upon the Israel of God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, be glory now and forevermore. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.